They told me in seminary never to start sermons this way. True confessions. I have always had a secret desire to be a time traveler. Uh, And my desire has never been to go forward. My desire has been to go backward. Uh, It it all started, I blame my parents because that's what we do, right? Blame our parents for everything. When I was a kid, my parents made a major purchase for our home. They purchased the World Book Encyclopedia. This was pre-Google, people. This is pre-internet. We had the World Book Encyclopedia. Uh, In fact, I wrote a blog post some time ago uh, because... uh, uh, when, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in 1969, I went down, uh, not knowing all that was going on, I was just, I was barely 10 years old, I went down and I found his entry in the World Book Encyclopedia and I opened it up and I completed the dateline. Uh, I love the World Book, but here's what I loved even more. They went with the bonus pack. They bought the Childcraft How and Why Library, 50 volumes and that year they made a mistake sort of they bought me at my request a clip-on lamp for my bunk bed yes you know I read the 15 volumes of the how and why library from cover to cover I read every single one of them. Now available at thriftbook.com for $4.79. Uh, one year for Christmas, you know, so, so I, I was intrigued, but I was most intrigued by the biographies, the pioneers and the inventors, the people you should know, uh, the, the patriots and the heroes. Oh, I dug into those and I learned about Francis Marion, the swamp fox. I learned about Mad Anthony Wayne, these guys in the Revolutionary War. I was so amazed. I, I, I learned about George Washington Carver. I learned about Thomas Edison. I even learned about Elias Howe. Do you know who Elias Howe was? He's the guy that invented the lock stitch so that we have sewing machines where the needle has a hole at the beginning of the needle, not at the end. He invented that. It came from a dream he had. It was amazing. I learned about all this, and I wanted to go see them. I wanted to go visit them. I wanted to go kind of hang out with these people and like, what was it like to come up with all these ideas if I could only go back and enjoy history as it happened i would dream about it as i sat in my tree house in kansas as it swayed in the wind thinking about what would it be like to go back but alas here we are there's a sentiment that's similar that i think grips some people when it comes to the early church if we could only go back If we could only go back to to Acts and just do things exactly like they did. If we could only go back. If we could only go back. Wouldn't that be awesome? We we could be awesome if we could go back. Yeah, there would be God there too. But we could be awesome. But we're 2,000 years removed from what they did. We're 2,000 years removed from how they lived. And so the best we can do is we can learn as we've done over the past eight weeks, nine weeks actually, looking at principles, principles that span time, 
that span culture, that stay true. And if you have a bulletin with you, in your bulletin is a blue sheet of paper, and on the back of that are sermon notes, and you can see those principles that we've gone through. This morning, I want to kind of take all those eight principles, and I want to condense them down into four summary statements. And then this is going to be more of a survey of some things in Acts instead of focusing on a single passage. And, and here's the first one that stood out for me as I went over those. And, and, and some of you know this, this journey for me started when I started here in August of 1996. I sat down and read through Acts praying every day, God, what are the key principles for doing church in your word? And, and this is actually the second time I've gone over these here at Pleasant Hill. And the first thing that stands out jumps right off the page at me in Acts chapter 2 as I read Peter's very first sermon of his entire life. It's in verses 14 to 41. We're not going to go over all of them. But it's simply this. A healthy faith community is based on the fullness of God. If you just do a quick read-through of that passage, you're going to find the references to God, references to the Spirit, references to the day of the Lord, references to Jesus of Nazareth. Peter didn't leave any of the Godhead out in this sermon. It was the fullness of the Godhead. What was happening there in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon the people with power and they're out there speaking in language and dialects of everyone that can hear them was the fact that God was revealing himself in a new and powerful way. And, and Peter says the Holy Spirit is doing this. God is at work. The fullness of God is happening. And, and then you get to chapter 4, and Peter's in the, the Sanhedrin. He, he's, once again, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 8. And, and he says, you know, I, I didn't do this thinking there was something great with me. I, I healed this man by the power of God through me. The fullness of God is all throughout the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit in 431 that empowers the Word of God to go forth boldly. It's Jesus in Acts chapter 9 who confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. It's in a dream that a Roman centurion has about a man in Joppa who could come and help him understand the gospel. And by the way, Side note, I have many friends that are involved in ministry to Muslims, and one of the ways that Jesus is reaching Muslims is through dreams. Dreams, they're seeing him in dreams. There was a, my, my daughter was telling me about a guy that did an interview at their church, and, and, and their, his journey to Christ began when his little sister came out and said, I just had a dream. I saw Jesus in my dream. I'm going to be a Christian now, which his devout Muslim family was like, oh no, God works in mysterious ways. And it was in this dream that Cornelius was prompted to send for Peter. Peter wouldn't have gone, but he had a dream. And that dream was the dream of all of these animals coming down in this sheet. And they were things like, you know, bacon, I mean pigs, and all, you know, all kinds of animals that were quote-unquote unclean. And the voice of God said, arise and eat. And Peter said, no way. 
And finally God said, don't call anything I have made unclean. And he used that to help Peter see that God was the God who sent Christ to die for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And Cornelius and his household come to the Lord. Father, Son, and Spirit appearing throughout the book of Acts, working in perfect triunity and harmony to found what we call the church. You see, when we remember and live individually the fullness of God, when we do that individually, when, when I believe, when you believe, that I don't just act on my own, that I don't just make decisions on my own, that I live and move and breathe in His presence, that the fullness of God truly is part of who we are. The Father, Son, and Spirit orchestrate and move us through life. When I believe that, then what happens is that helps me be part of a faith community where the fullness of God dwells. In a faith community where the, we believe in, where we hold on to the fullness of God, that Father, Son, and Spirit are working in perfect harmony, it causes us to work in perfect harmony together. But... When we believe that somehow, individually on the inside, I have the answers. I have all the answers. I'm the teacher. You're the learner. That's a problem. I learn from you, and I hope you learn from me, but I learn a lot from you because we all are on different paths. God is taking us through different experiences, different life experiences, so that when we share them together, when we come together in community, we can celebrate together the fullness of God. Father, Son, and Spirit have chosen to have different roles, but they work together. We may have different roles, but when we embrace who God's created us to be, when we embrace what we are gifted to do as part of the whole, there is unity, there is harmony, there is oneness, and a healthy faith community comes about. A healthy faith community is based on the fullness of God. On Tuesday of this past week, several things happened to remind me of an important reality. I came here to the church to do my thing Tuesday, Wednesday, big study days, days to dig in, not only studying for this week, but for the weeks to come. And uh, I remembered, uh, because I have a little to-do list, and my wife had asked me to get a couple things and put them in her classroom from the storage closet in the gym. So, you know, looked at my list. Oh, that's like number one. Better go do that. So I'm walking into the gym, and I hear this really weird sound, like bubbling water. And I'm kind of looking around, and I'm hearing this water, and then it hit me. I don't know who they were, but the architects who designed this building decided it would be wise to put all of the heat ducts in the gym under the floor and then someone else decided at some point in time they would bust through the floor put a sump pump in the floor to pull water out and if that sump pump fails and it rains then the base then it fills up it fills up and the the the, all the duct work was full and beginning to bubble and could have flooded the gym I quick go turn off the HVAC system, quick go look at what was going on with the sump pump. It looked like it was plugged in, but it wasn't running. 
you know. And so I ran and got an extension cord, ran it from another particular outlet, plugged it in. I could hear that it was running. Then I run outside to where I know that it empties. I can see it emptying. Okay, some pump's working. This is going to take some time. And then I stood there. I think I turned around three times going, why did I come in here? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go get something for my wife out of the, out of the uh, storage closet. I go over to the storage closet, and I open the door, and I hear this hiss. I mean, it's a hiss. And I'm going, what is going on? What's going on? There are demons in the church. And so so then I I go and I I kind of go to the storage room. I'm hearing this. We have a a large hot water heater and it's kind of in an alcove. I open the door and there from the pipe that comes down, the, the, the exit pipe, it's kind of a relief valve. Water is pouring out. What's up with me and water day? I turn it off. You know, and I had the presence of mind to turn off the, the thermostat the, the, so that we, you know, we don't blow up. And it's still not, it's still pouring out water somewhere. So I, I called the, the uh, plumber and said, hey, can you get somebody over here? And they, we got it all scheduled. They got somebody to come over. I'm sitting there. I mean, I looked at my watch. My heart rate was 100. I thought, who needs an elliptical? You know, <laughs> I go back and I sit down in my office and I'm sitting there for a minute. I'm going, you know, this is going to be a sermon illustration someday. And then I went, oh, wait. I still hadn't gotten the stuff I was supposed to get from my wife out of the closet, so I had to go back and get the stuff. I sat there for a while and I realized something in that moment. I am actually not in control of anything. You know, we got to realize that. I am not in control. I am a dependent person. I'm dependent on so many things, but most importantly, I need to remember, I am dependent on Father, Son, and Spirit for everything. And that reminded me about a healthy faith community, believe it or not. Oh, let me tell you the good news. Sump pump working, no problems, and the hot water heater, under warranty, free replacement. Yes, there is a God. He had, he's is in control, right? But a healthy faith community is dependent upon God. A healthy faith community is dependent upon God. Just in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Let me read just a couple verses. Uh, Peter and John, in an early part of Acts 3, were going into the temple to pray. There was a beggar there, and, and, and he may have called out to them. And like my mentor used to say, Peter stepped up in front of the line, a long line of preachers, and he said, silver and gold have I none. But he said, what I have I will give you. And he reached out and grabbed a hold of him and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And now people come around. They want to see what's going on. And, and Peter, the, the Bible says here in 3.11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And he goes on to to use that as an opportunity to talk about how Jesus from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has come through through history and he is the answer to all that they're struggling with. And we need to be aware of that fact. A faith community is dependent. Peter reminded them, I didn't do this on my own. 
This was God through me. You see, we need to remember how dependent we are. Oh, I know we make plans, and I get it. I make plans, you make plans, and and, and sometimes those plans come to fruition. But in reality, we need to remember day in and day out, we live in dependency upon the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The minute, the minute we as a, a faith community, the minute me as a pastor begin to think that somehow we built this church or somehow we created an experience that tracks people, or somehow we are successful because we've created a winning formula, we enter some dangerous spiritual territory. You see, what our world calls success may not always be success to God. Uh, I'm reminded, uh, and I, I remind people of this a lot, I was a senior in college in chapel, actually listening that day, and the professor that spoke that day said several things, but one of them that stood out for me, especially as I knew that within a few months I would be getting married, and with a few months after that I would be going to seminary, and uh, he made this statement. He goes, I want you to remember, students, an A on earth might be C minus in heaven. Just remembering our priorities, remembering that we serve God first, what we call success may not always be success in God's eye. As Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, that one day everything we do is going to be put through God's ringer. It's going to be put through God's stress test. It's going to be tried by fire. And some of the great things that we did, some of the great ways that we really impacted people may burn up like wood, hay, and stubble, but... The things that we did, sometimes the things that nobody noticed, sometimes the things that never made a splash, the things that never made a book or a blog post, those are the things that God says, that was for me. That was for me. That's gold, silver, and precious stones. We can do a lot of good things and not do them for God. And when we learn to live in dependency upon God, that's when we learn that we're doing good things for God. You see, it's all God's work. And we get to join Him and participate. That's the essence of dependency. When I see everything as God's work, and I just get to join Him. I get to come along. God invites me. God invites you into His process. God invites you and me into His work. And He says, you can... I want you to do this with me. Wow, that's awesome. But when I run ahead of God and think, I got this, God, you just bless it, I got this, that's when I stumble and fall. A healthy faith community is dependent upon God. If you're a reader, let me recommend a book to you. It's a very recent book. It's entitled, A Church Called Tov, T-O-V. That word, tov, is the transliteration of the Hebrew word for good. It's written by Dr. Scott McKnight along with his daughter, Laura Beringer. And 
a lot of things that it does, but eventually it makes a very, very strong case that the goodness of God is one of the characteristics of God that should characteristic, characterize all of us and our churches. And I would summarize the point this way. A healthy faith community reflects the true character of God. Dr. McKnight says there are over 700 uh, appearances of the word tov, or good, in the Hebrew scriptures. We don't have time to do a deep dive into all of them, but just a couple will suffice. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God surveyed all of creation, God saw all he, was cre- all he had created and he declared it very good. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 119, 68, you are good and what you do is good. God's goodness is a huge part of his character and and it's part of who we should be. Jesus, even in Luke 19, 18, remember that rich young man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep all the first, but he starts out, he says, good teacher. And Jesus said, oh, time out right there. Why are you calling me good? No one's good except God alone. And basically what Jesus was saying to him, if you're calling me good teacher, you're ascribing deity to me. And since I am deity, I'm not going to push you away, but then you better listen to what I say because you're coming to me and ascribing deity to me. God is good. And that's what Dr. McKnight says. He says throughout the scriptures, good is used as an act or a characteristics of God. You look at the book of Acts, and there is goodness flowing through it in a variety of ways. We saw it at the very beginning in Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches his first sermon. All these people repent, and they're baptized, and then they start getting together. And notice what they started doing. They started sharing stuff with one another. That's goodness. All of a sudden, my stuff isn't my stuff. You know, we, we laugh as a couple you know, uh, sometimes my wife will say, well, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. You know, well, no, that's the, we know that's not right and we laugh. It's, it's, all, it's ours. But that's how it is in a, in a faith community. If I have something and you need it, I need to find a way to help you have that. And, and, and you know, it's amazing when you quote-unquote sacrifice, when you give up something because maybe you no longer need it anymore or maybe you are, are, have the freedom to give it up, it, it doesn't feel like you've lost anything. That's the essence of goodness. In my goodness, when I share, I haven't lost anything. And so you saw that, you see that again in chapter 4. Man, in chapter 4, some people were selling fields, right? And selling a field and bringing the money and saying, here, I'm going to give it to the apostles, do what you need to do with it goodness goodness was never limited in the book of acts we just saw the example of that poor beggar and he received the goodness of god in healing 
In Acts chapter 6, we saw a few weeks ago, those widows who weren't being treated properly, they were being left out, and the unity of the church was was all of a sudden brought into question. And and so the the apostles said, here, pick seven people who who are full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, and and let them manage this. And, And what happened when the goodness was spread out to all, everything grew, the church grew. Goodness isn't limited to ethnicities. In Acts chapter 8, Samaritans receive the message of Christ. Goodness. We talked about a Roman centurion but, you know, and, and how the goodness of God came into his life. But goodness isn't limited there. Remember, they, we had a patriarchal society in, in the first century where men ran everything. Women sometimes did not have as much status in the family as the eldest son and yet when you look at acts 9 acts 16 acts 18 what you find is the goodness of god extended to women and we're going to see we're going to do two biographical sketches in the next two weeks next week barnabas and the week after that aquila and priscilla or as they are mentioned most of the time throughout scripture priscilla and aquila and together as partners, they shared the goodness of God with others and were influential in the church because God's goodness isn't limited to men or women. It's for everybody. We found in Acts that leadership wasn't limited to Jews. In Acts chapter 12 and 13 in Antioch, there were people from various different places and ethnicities. The goodness of God extended to a guy that was a jailer in Philippi and his family came to know Christ. The goodness of God extended on the island of Malta in Acts chapter 28 when Paul is shipwrecked there and he goes into this home and he heals the head of the household. When the goodness of God and the church was threatened by dishonesty and lack of integrity in Acts chapter 5 by Ananias and Sapphira, God dealt with it severely. I believe the more I study the scriptures that when we as a faith community, or you can say church if you will, when we focus on reflecting the goodness of God to all with whom we come into contact, beginning right here, beginning with our families, beginning with our church family, and then extending out to our local community and even beyond if we have the ability, we will experience the sustaining blessing of God. Don't hear me ever saying that when we experience the blessing of God, we'll be popular. Don't hear me say that we'll have lots of great programs and lots of people. No, we'll have exactly what God wants us to have so that we can continue to reflect His goodness. Because a healthy community reflects the true character of God. There are a lot of popular words out there these days. One of them is the word metrics, right? If you work in business or industry, they're always talking about the metrics. Believe it or not, that has made its way into church language. In fact, the other day, just for kicks, I googled church gro- metrics for church growth. I, that little phrase, metrics for church growth, growth. And I had over 11 million hits. I only got through about 7 million of them. No, I, I'm not convinced God makes things that complicated for us. 
He created us. He knows we are simple most effectively. And, and what I learn in the book of Acts is that a healthy faith community grows using God's metrics. And we're given one verse, one verse in the book of Acts that tells us what God's metrics are. That verse is Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And it says simply this, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I had somebody once in a seminar say, People that say that numbers don't matter to God are only pastors of small churches. That was when I finished taking notes. Because nowhere else in Scripture, until you get to the book of Revelation, are numbers ever mentioned. And the numbers in Revelation are just more than you can count. God cares about transformed lives. Our friend Mark in Japan has seen transformed lives in their church that would fit inside this room right here. Transform lives. We're given another indication that we read earlier in, in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus said, I will build my church. My pet, it's pet peeve of mine. Pet peeve, it's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time. I really struggle when someone says, he built that church or I built this church. I don't build anything. I can do woodworking, but I don't build anything when it comes to what God does. God builds his church, and he does it in his way and in his time. The church is God's work. Specifically, it's the work of Jesus start to finish. That doesn't mean that big churches are bad and small churches are great or small churches are bad or big churches are bad. great. It doesn't matter. What matters to God is that lives are transformed that disciples are made you see because jesus said i will build my church doesn't mean you and i can sit back and do nothing we got a lot of work to do we have to obey jesus who said make disciples that's what the apostles were faithful in doing in the book of acts and they were also faithful in delivering the message jesus told them you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That hasn't changed. That command has not changed. We are all to be his witnesses. What's a witness do? Simply tell what you know. Oh, but pastor, I can't answer all those questions. You don't have to. Just tell what you know. What has Jesus done for you? How has he changed your life? Be a witness. The apostles were faithful in appointing leaders to manage various aspects. They were faithful in prayer. We have work to do, to be a witness, to pray, to make disciples. And we answer only to God for how we do that work. But the results and the credit for the results are God's and God's alone. He adds to the church. He sends the workers Anytime there's a success, it should cause us to be humbled and to realize that we have just simply been used of God as we've joined Him in His work. Four simple principles. Four principles that just summarize what I believe is the book of Acts. A healthy community. 
based on the fullness of God. A healthy faith community depending on God. That's individually and corporately. A healthy faith community reflecting the true character of God individually and corporately. A healthy faith community letting God's metrics determine growth. I still want to be a time traveler. Uh, But time travel is as much of a mysterious pipe dream today as it was all those years ago as I lay in bed reading the Childcraft series and wanting to go back and see stuff as it happened. We can't go back. In fact, I don't think we should go back. We have been placed by God in this place at this time in this community for right now. Those words from Mordecai to Esther all those years ago, who knows that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You and I are here now for such a time of this as this. So what do we do? Because we can't be like the church of Acts. We don't live in that time. There is no Solomon's colonnade around here. But what we can do is actually on the front cover of your bulletin. We can love God and we can love others as together we follow Jesus. That's the essence of goodness right there. That's the essence of God goodness. Love God and love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And then Jesus said, follow me. Boy, we do those three things. That's a lifetime's work right there. And then we've kind of outlined it, and and this isn't one of those vision sermons that just kind of came to my mind. Then we proclaim the good news of Jesus. How? First you live it, and then you talk it. And then you honor God and all you do. You remember that everything you do, like that sermon from Paul in Acts 19, or I think it's Acts 19, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything I do should reflect God. I'm not perfect at that. Neither are you but we should keep making an effort. And when we fail, come back to him, ask for forgiveness, seek him to change us and move forward. Connect with one another. Connect with one another right around here. Connect with our neighbors. Connect with our coworkers. Build relationships. Build friendships. Because it's in those relationships, it's in those friendships that conversations are going to come up. The people are going to want to know, why do you go listen to that dude blabber every Sunday? Man, Sunday morning, it's great. You can go out and have a beautiful morning. You know, what's the, what's the, and you can talk about our faith community. And hopefully you can say our faith community that was there for me, that rallied around me, our faith community that just encourages me. And then after we connect, we care. We care for one another's needs, both in our faith community and outside. Paul would write to the Galatian church, do good to all people, especially those in the the community of faith. We're to do good to all people. The church should not be known about what it's against. The church should be known about how we come alongside. I would encourage you today to simply pray this prayer it's a variation on a theme you've heard me say time and time again that maybe our daily prayer should be lord change me but let me give you a variation on that 
maybe you could vary that and say, Lord, as you change me, show me how I can live your goodness every day. And I think you'll be amazed at what God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for reminders from your word. Oh, I know we haven't covered every aspect that we could cover. But I pray, Lord, that we'll walk away from here today encouraged. Encouraged to let you change us so that we can reflect your goodness. Encouraged to be the people you want us to be so that we can be part of building and growing in a healthy faith community that reflects your character, our dependency upon you, the fullness of who you are. Lord, as you change us, show us how we can reflect your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.